Actively managing your personal brand is critical if you want to make a significant impact in the areas of your life important to you. I'm Gary Brown, the personal brand catalyst. I've spent most of my life working in the world of branding products. More recently, I've been exploring the world of personal branding and wrote a book on this, Brand New, Brand You. And the podcast has come out of this as a way to share first-hand experiences from some of Australia's most recognised personal brands. Louise Walsh is the founder and CEO of Walsh Capital, a third-party capital-raising business that she launched in mid-2021. That's not a surprising development given Louise's extensive capital-raising experience across many sectors. Most recently, as the CEO of the Future Generation Companies, Louise and her team grew this ASX-listed funds by $1 billion in assets in just six years. Louise has developed best practice investor and major donor engagement programs throughout her career and has a substantial ultra-high net worth and high network across Australia. This extensive network has been developed and nurtured over three decades. Having started her career as a lawyer at Allen's, head of sponsorships for the Sydney Olympic Games, Louise is widely regarded as one of Australia's leading philanthropic advisors and is a fundraising expert. And what a privilege and pleasure it is to have you here today, Louise. Thank you so much for joining. Thanks, Gary. It's great to be here. What better question to start with Louise? having had so much experience in fundraising and now launching her own business, as how she defines and how you define yourself as simply a brand or as Louise Walsh. How would you craft that? I think, Gary, yeah, it's an interesting first question. I I, I do think it's as me or, you know, it it is interesting. I probably don't look at myself as a brand. But I must tell you, it's a funny story when I was getting married. I mean, we're going back now 19 years. My husband, we got married when we were 39. So a little bit later in life, first time for both of us. And my husband, we we were having a chat one night over a glass of wine and he said, oh, are you going to change your name or not? What are you going to do? And I said, well, I've thought about that. And I think there's a bit of brand equity in Louise Walsh. So I don't (laughs) think I'm going to change it. And and to be honest, we were having a laugh, but I, I did say, look, I don't want to go through all the admin and the paperwork. And we weren't having children, see, because we married later in life. So, But it is funny because um, we have a laugh about that now and again when someone says, oh, it's interesting you've never changed your name to Jordan. My husband says, well, there's a bit of brand equity in Louise Walsh. <laughs> well, I, I think it is an incredibly important uh, component in in being able to understand who you are and and what you do. Mm. Um, But by the same token, for me, I want people to know who I am, not necessarily what I do. And so to take your point about brand equity, that's very much to the point. But do you get yourself, uh, do you think or get concerned or consider how people perceive you? Well, I think, you know, to be honest, I think everyone does to a degree, don't they? I mean, we'd, we'd have to be totally honest with ourselves to say that you can sit here and say you don't really care what, you know, X, Y, Z thinks, but always in the back of your mind there is probably some of that. I have grown up 
believing that you've got to be yourself. You know, my parents were very influential in my life and my mother always said, look, Louise, better to be overdressed than underdressed. And just always remember, just a little bit of colour, a bit of point of difference, always very important, particularly in those interviews that you go through in life. And it's funny, we've both got sort of quite signature glasses and I've sort of, that's been a bit of a trademark over the years. I remember when I worked on the Olympics Juan Samaranch, the president of the IOC, said to me, Louise, I love those glasses. Can I get a pair? And they were sort of, you know, in the Olympic ring colours yes, and they were yeah. completely zany. I would never yeah. wear them today. But back yeah. then in my mid-20s, I must have thought, I've got to have a pair of those. But so I suppose I've, I've um, I just believe in sort of just standing out a little bit. You don't want to be outlandish, but, you know, I just think there is something about being remembered that's important. And I... I probably never want to be go to the grave in my eulogy where someone says, we remember Louise Walsh as being nice. That's probably not the description I'm looking for. I mean, nothing against that word, but I think there's probably other words that you want to be remembered by. So um, what is that? What is that, that, those words or messaging? Well, I love connecting people. Mm-hmm. So I, Gary, you know, I'd love to think that I've done a lot of that in my life personally and, you know, I've done, been responsible for a few marriages. Yeah. Um, and certainly throughout my career, I love helping people by connecting people. Yeah. That might be a young person today who is a son or daughter of a friend who needs a leg up getting a start with their career or I find that incredibly satisfying. Mm. So there's no question the giving back and the, you know, I've spent a lot of time in my career being very devoted to growing philanthropy and, and giving, and that is very important to me. Mm. I feel really strongly that, you know, if you've got the means to do it, it is about giving back. So I, I love being – I will always, you know, no matter what happens with the rest of my life, there's no question I will play some sort of role in doing that, and it, it's there's so much more to do. In my view, you are one of the icons and having really been associated with the greatest brand in the world being the Olympic rings um, and the fact that you can stand out from the crowd and be recognised by the chief of the Olympics on, on that particular occasion is is in fact testament to the fact you've stood out and created something. That's, that's the way I look at it. Uh, and I think that when you start talking about the recognition, it leads it leads one to another angle and that is reputation mm. um, and your reputation within the philanthropic circles and, and for business generally is well known. Mm. So there's, a, there's something about your brand to start with. Mm. Well, I suppose I, ha- I have worked hard over the years on building a network. Mm. Like I I really believe – I never did it consciously when I first started in my career and I've always felt that life is a bit of an adventure Mm. and I've always wanted to – you know, I studied economics law, did the traditional things starting as a, you know, M&A lawyer at Allen's Mm. and and my mother who's 87 and still alive says to me, well, that's the only job I really understand that you've done. (laughs) Do you ever think you'll go back and do that again? Um, But I've always – loved a sense of adventure and I've always mm. I'm not overly planned things like the career mm. but mm. I what has happened is 
it's been through the strength of that network that the doors have opened. It is quite extraordinary um, how that's happened if I look back and I I feel I've been incredibly fortunate. But as people have said to me, you worked incredibly hard in whatever role you've done and also, you know, you've achieved things in those roles and they've been in different sectors that you've built this network of interesting people and I suppose that's where these opportunities have – I don't think I've ever applied for a role in my career, you know, or really done anything through a search firm. Mm. You know, they've Mm. they've more been sort of taps on the shoulder or Mm. actually I've created the opportunity myself, which Mm. is I've not necessarily believed that there has to be a job there for you to secure an opening. Sure. And, and, you know, I think – so I suppose there's a lot of tenacity there. I'm not frightened of hard work, but I'm also – I like I like the idea of, you know, achieving something that probably someone thinks is is going to be tough to do. <laughs> yes, I can relate to that very <laughs> much. So, so I'd like to just steer a little way towards a topic that is probably also dear to your heart. Philanthropy, you said, is is very uh, much your your mantra, and and values are paramount of importance in in philanthropy. Mm. But I wonder whether they're the same in finance <laughs> because the industry has certainly been through some challenges. Mm. H- how did you establish your values and were these principles consciously developed over time or did you just have them from when you were young? Well, I don't know that I've ever consciously sat down and wrote a personal set of values. I mean, I mm. have in different roles for mm organisations I've been involved in and obviously there's some common ones that Mm. sort of flow through but I I think um, you know my father was very influential I think in in sort of personal values I mean and my mother as well I mean my father was you know he, he had a very limited education he grew up on a dairy farm on the south coast of New South Wales and um, he was a phenomenal fundraiser, pro bono, of really? course, Gary. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's um, – I mean, he passed away about five years ago and mm. he he would be fundraising for the church, the school, the mm. St Vincent de Paul, the whatever, mm. and he, he was extraordinarily good at it mm. and he just – fundamentally believed in giving back and doing whatever he could. It might have been the the Agricultural Show Society. I mean, we were talking a lot of different causes. And there's great stories where we were children and he'd say to me, look, funerals are actually one of the best, Louise. So, you know, so what he'd do is once all the formalities were out of the road, quite a captive audience, he'd be off talking to X, Y, Z about certain things. So it's a shame he's not alive today Mm. to sort of see that, you know, I've made a professional career of it now mm. in doing what I'm doing now mm. and, you know, actually having my own capital raising business mm. um, because if he was here today, he'd go, it's extraordinary. I can't believe that you've monetized that and, mm. you know, but I think probably a lot of the values I have have, have come through from dad, my parents giving mm. back an enormously amount in the community. My mother was a nurse. Mm. Uh, she ended up being a matron but was heavily involved in a lot of charitable, non-profit things and we didn't really think too much about it growing yeah. up. It's yeah. funny how – and I just get an enormous amount of joy out of it. I mean, my, mm. my, my thing is actually, you know, that that's the bugbear with this whole philanthropy thing that so many people haven't discovered the joy. 
of giving. So unfortunately, they're missing out. And they haven't just had that right experience with a non-profit or a charity or whatever it is. Now, that may not necessarily be their fault, Mm. um, but I think, you know, a lot of my values would be very, um, you know, typical ones, you Mm. know, the integrity, the trust, the honesty, da da. But um, it also is about being being yourself, Gary. I mean, I I, I do believe that it's not about sugarcoating. Um, it's not about dressing something up. I I really believe in sort of frank and honesty as well. It's not something I've ever written a list on. Actually, it's very interesting. I've they've just sort of evolved yeah. over time. I think the values. Yeah, I- as you're probably aware, I talk in the book about the fact of people who are getting into careers and wanting to build their brand should understand what their values are mm. and establish what they are because at some point in time you're going to have to make a decision about whatever it is in, in your work, life, play, whatever, and values are going to come into play and um, it's going to be tough. Mm. It's challenging enough to actually execute a, a tough decision, but to actually come to that decision is a real challenge in itself. Absolutely. And mm. I think um, it probably, may, maybe it is something that I could have or should have written down early on, but I think I was in so much of a hurry with the career mm. that I, <laughs> you know, it, it, it just sort of naturally evolved. But also I've always thought after that Olympic experience, I needed to do things mm. that had a purpose. You know, there had to be a fundamental purpose behind roles that I've done and I've, you know, I've been very passionate about the arts, I've been very passionate about growing philanthropy, more recently mental health, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, trying to help in that regard and I'm, the other thing I I also think is I've been conscious also to not take on too many causes Mm. and too many things, That's that's what I do see these days with a lot of young people where I think they do want to conquer the world and they want to have a finger in a pie of a lot of different things. I, I, I often say to them, to be honest, if I was sitting in your shoes, do less rather than more, but do it well because if mm. you actually want to build that reputation, I think it's hard if you're trying to do too many things. Absolutely. How can you mm. focus enough to actually build that reputation strongly if you're if you're floating around or, or chopping and changing to- too much. Totally I think agree. that's probably one thing mm. I've I've tried to stay true to. So let's move on to Walsh Capital. Yes. Is Walsh Capital, uh, the firm you've recently founded, all about actively managing your relevance and engaging your passion? Well, Gary, in this case it is because it, 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 it's an interesting story about how this one came about. Um, actually, the name's interesting too because you talk about brand and originally – it, it's a, as you said, it's a bespoke third-party capital raising business, and originally, um, I was going to call it CapRaiser. So that was the original plan. And then a, a friend who's an IP lawyer said, "Louise, I think it's a little bit too close to something mm-hmm. else." So we got a bit nervous. And then um, it's funny we were at the eleventh hour with our designer throwing around different names and whatever, and he was the one who said, "Well, what about Walsh Capital?" And I went, oh, "I don't know." You know, like, he said, "A bit too." Not sure about that, but you know, I think it, it ended up being it's it right ended up being the right the right Absolutely. word the right word. Yeah. So, so I'm very happy. But what happened was when I when I resigned from the the most previous role mm. that we mm. know each other well from, mm. um, the CEO of the Future Generation Companies, I had thought at the time that I would probably go and um, work for another fund manager or maybe do something in private equity or venture capital. 
And uh, I finished up at the end of April and what happened in May, I was sort of wooed to come and work for a, a new agricultural investment fund. So that's what I was thinking about doing mm-hmm. come sort of early May. And then I was catching up with a friend, a very good friend who's a fund manager in um, mid-May and we were sitting down to have a coffee and he said, look, what are you doing? What are you doing next? And I said, well, look, what's happened is I'm, I'm about to go and work for this ag fund. You know, I've been made an offer and it sounds really interesting. It's a bit different. I like doing things. And he said, listen, Louise, no way. He said, seriously, next time round, and, and, you know, I'm 55. I was 55 at the time. He said, you should definitely do something yourself. And I said, well, look, he said, you know, you've spent a lot of time in your career making other people look good and actually in some cases helping them make quite a lot of money. I seriously think you need to have your own business. And I said, look, I've always thought about it over the years, but I've never really had the cracker idea, which is why I've, you know, decided to work. I I love working for other entrepreneurs and being around Mm -hmm. them. And in often cases, they're philanthropists as well. And he said, well, look, let's sit down right now and talk about um, that idea. And I went, hmm, okay. I hadn't quite expected we are going to go that far. And he said, look, let's talk about your strengths. I said, okay, fair enough. And he said, look, the first one, it's really apparent with you, um, is that you're very good at raising money and unusually so, you like doing it. Most people hate raising money and they're crap at it, but you also realise how tough it is. And secondly, he said, what you've done over the years with different roles and hats that you've had on is you've built this very interesting network over many years. You know, it might be the Olympics, arts, Mm -hmm. philanthropy, impact investing, the future generation role. And particularly in that sort of high net worth, ultra high net worth sort of space, he said that network's gold. And that's we'll talk about that more in a minute. And then he said, look, thirdly, you're also very strong on the investor engagement piece. And this guy had been a major shareholder. In, in the future generation companies. And he said, look, there's an opportunity there. Like you could actually be bringing those three things together. Hmm. And we talked about distribution, capital raising type businesses in mm-hmm. private equity and, and yeah. funds management. And that's where the idea came from. And, and I literally went home and I said to my husband, what do you think? And he said, Louise, that is exactly what you should be doing. What I'll do for the first six months is I'll look after all your back-end admin he said, only six months because we'll probably end up being divorced after that. But, um, you know, let's do it. And and that's sort of what happened. I mean, we, we that was May. We launched in July and um, had my financial licence from ASIC in August, six weeks, record time, and the first four clients locked in in August and off Fantastic. we went. So it was – it happened very quickly but it was weird because it wasn't – it wasn't planned and it fe- it feels like such a natural thing to do and I, people have said to me, do you regret you haven't done it earlier in your career? But I probably, I probably wouldn't have been ready to do ready it. To and you speak about reputation and networks, it just feels like the culmination of um, years of effort that have finally happened at age 56 mm. that I've done it. So it's probably been a bit of a late, a late developer, you could say, but... Yeah. So your career, uh, and in fact, when we we spoke about joining this particular podcast, I remember very clearly thinking to myself that you've built other people's brands very well. And when you said to me, 
that you just launched Walsh Capital, I immediately thought you're starting to build your own brand. And so I think all of those sort of things have come into play. And, you know, that's why I asked you about your relevance and your passion, because it's actually made you relevant today. If you'd launched some other brand, people wouldn't know. They know you were probably behind uh, that cap raise name, but at the end of the day, you now can bring your brand to life. Mm, it is, and it it, you know, it it was also interesting. I mean, I'm not I'm not a big um, you know social media person. You know, no. I never really have been. Probably mm. you know it's an age thing, isn't it? But well, it's not just an age thing. But I think we didn't have children as well. I think you know if you've got kids, I can see why people tend to be a little bit more active on it as well, particularly something like Facebook. But um, or Meta, whatever it's called now. Uh, but it, it was funny when I didn't. I've used LinkedIn a bit, but it was interesting launching this business because I did say to my husband, "Look, I really think I will. I will use LinkedIn, and I can see the value of it." But mm. it was interesting when I launched and did the first post. I think I did have about twenty three thousand. Um, what do you call? Is it views? I don't even yeah, know what yeah, the yeah, word yeah, is. Yeah, likes or views. Well, I or think views. It was, maybe views it was it views. Is, yeah. You know, I don't know. But I, I did think to myself, "Oh, okay. Well, that's probably not bad." That's very. So good. Yeah. I thought to myself, "Okay, well, speaking about brands, I, I was conscious, thinking, well, this is exactly what I'm doing now, and probably I feel for the first time that that's um, what I will be doing, ironically, you know, because yeah. it is my own business, and that's Correct. exactly what you've got to do. You can take your own approach and your own strategy mm. and develop it accordingly. When we move on to uh, those sort of topics, the and you talk about young people, um, when you were kick-starting your career, did you have a mentor that mm. really um, impacted you in terms of your journey? Look, probably not a mentor as such. It's interesting. I mean, I there've probably been three or four people over the years that have been what I would call sounding boards when I've needed to sort of have a chat. And I've mentioned two of them already. Yes, you have. Yeah. Definitely Rod McGurk would be one. Mm-hmm. Whenever I think about changing careers, I'll always go and have a chat to him just yep. to see if there's anything interesting happening in his network. Mm-hmm. But secondly, David Gonski. Yep. I mean, there's no question he, um, you know, has been very influential mm. in my career. In fact, two roles I have have been a result of having a chat to him, thinking a bit about sort of the direction and then the next thing he says, well, actually, Louise, I think we could do this together or I can make that happen. So mm. I suppose um, he's definitely been one. And even with the business when I was setting this up, I yeah. did have a very long chat to him to say, well, look, what do you think and do you think, you know, any any words of wisdom or advice mm-hmm. or whatever. So he's been invaluable. You know, he's just, mm-hmm. as you, we both know, the, sure. you know. But I think also um, uh, there's been other people as well. Someone like Helen Lynch yes. would be another one. Mm-hmm. You know, she's basically a re- very successful retired director these days. But I was very fortunate at one point I was the head of development or fundraising at the Sydney Symphony after the Olympics and she was the incoming chair. And so we just struck accord there you know there was something and I was I was fortunate there because the managing director said look what I'm going to do it's a little bit unusual here but with the senior executive team I'm going to sort of just do a bit of a buddy sort of system with board members so it was almost like you so I ended up with her and she loved the fundraising and Mm -hmm. the development so I was lucky because she sort of really understood what we were trying to achieve and helped um 
But there's probably one person in particular who I wouldn't say has been a mentor but someone who I find incredibly inspirational and probably never had them as a mentor but you'd be aware of James or Jim Wolfenson. Absolutely. Of course, you know, passed away away fairly recently. And it's a good story. When I was working on the Olympic bid, and it's it's really my first foray into fundraising, I had a young guy come who wrote me a letter who was a 17-year-old. He was a budding fencer. And he wrote in to say, look, I really need to get to the World Junior Championships. And he was trying to get to the Sydney Olympics. But he said, I I really haven't got enough money. My parents don't have enough money. I need to try and raise some money. Have you got any suggestions? And at the time I was what we call the community relations manager. And um, I thought about it and I said to, you know, I I rang this kid up. I think I wrote and then rang. I said, look, I don't really, I don't really know anything much about raising money. There is this very famous person in New York who you may not be, but this is who he is. Go and research him. But he was a fencer. In fact, he fenced at the 1956 Olympics. Mm. So why don't I help you put together an interesting letter to him? Because you just never know. Mm. He might. Yep. And I'd always admired him because he was an Olympian. He was ex-Allens. Yes. He started his career at Allens. Yeah. Obviously, he, you know, he ran the World Bank. Sure. He was a very, very successful investment banker in New York. He was also a very accomplished cellist. Yes. And philanthropist Mm -hmm. in New York. You know, probably, as you would know, one of the most famous Australians in in New York. Absolutely. And um, so to me, he had the package. Yes, absolutely. had the package, you know. And what happened was we... We wrote to him. Well, the kid did, but I sort of helped. Mm. Anyway, he did. He came back with, and, and he contributed some money that helped oh, the fantastic. kid. Fantastic! Yeah. So that was probably my first foray, ironically, into fundraising. And then, okay. of course, one thing led to another. And and when we'd won the bid, they said to me, "Look, do you know we'd like to keep you? You know, do you know anything about raising money?" And I said, mm. "I don't know anything." And they said, "Well, no one else does here. We've got to raise all these sponsorship dollars." Yeah. What we're going to do is we're going to write. A, we're going to get John Fay to write a letter to the managing partner of Allens and ask them to keep you on uh, secondment and get Allens to keep paying his salary. And of course, that's what started the career. Fantastic. You know, in that sort yeah. of you know, heading up the sponsorship team. Um, but I was very fortunate in 2014. It was I led a study tour of top Australian philanthropists to New York mm-hmm. to learn from the best in over there. And uh, I wrote to Jim Wolfenson and said, look, you don't really know me from a bar or so, but this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. I'm leading these Australians on mm. this tour. Would you would you be interested in hosting a private dinner in uh, New York one night while we're there for the week? And the amazing thing is that he did. Fantastic. Sat next to him. He spoke at the dinner. Yeah. Um, and it was just amazing to finally... Mm. Meet the man. Yeah. And uh, and I've subsequently got to know his daughter as well. Oh, so, really? Yeah, but it was – so that was a – you know, Fantastic. speak that, about speak about reputations and oh, networks and – Outstanding um, human I mean, being. he's an outstanding Australian. Absolutely. I, I met him once when I was much younger. Right. Um, but um, more recently, th- there was a book. Have you read the Yes, the, I have read the book. Uh, yeah. Brilliant. brilliant. Yeah. It was oh, really no, good. he's quite a phenomenal because I – I, I love the multi-faceted achievements oh, with him. You know, he didn't just achieve in one domain. And also I think 
with philanthropy as well. You know, obviously yes. they're just incredible. I mean, he chaired Carnegie Hall, he chaired mm, yeah, all sorts yeah. of, you know. So, um, mm. but like, you couldn't believe he was a fencer no. as well. So. <laughs> um, Louise, wonderful stories. I mean, fabulous. With young people, is there any advice that you can share that would help them give them a hand up in terms of their career and their development, in terms of building their components that are going to give them a more successful career, building mm. their brand, etc. Yes, um, I think I can on that front. I think firstly, I'm probably generalising a bit too much here, but you do see a number of millennials that do jump around a lot with their career and, and I think don't stay in roles long enough. So I, I, do, I do see also some value in working in a bigger shop somewhere early in your career. Mm-hmm. And even if it's not the dream job and it's, it's, you're not going to stay there long term, I think, it, I think it is invaluable to sort of work somewhere larger for a period of time where there's structure, there's processes, there's, it's, it's, and then you value the smaller shops the mm-hmm. boutiques a lot mm-hmm. more as well. Um, but I, I, I do worry sometimes when I see CVs when there's a lot of jumping around. You know, I don't like too much of under two years, I have to say. Yeah. I find that a little bit disturbing yeah. that they're moving around too much. So are they, are they sticking with something long enough yeah. to really build the reputation? Correct. And, you know, so that, that worries me a little bit. The second thing is it is about building the network because – some of them say to me, "Well, I, I I'm on all this, I'm on all this social media, and you know that, that's how I'm building my network." And I, I say, "Well, that's fine, but I don't think anything can replace the face-to-face mm. networking." And um, you know, so I suppose I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm pretty obsessive, Gary. I, I'll tell you a great story. I, I, when we bought a new car last year. You know, we, we bought the car and the and the, the dealer guy said, well, look, can I just put all your contacts into the, you know, the car? So mm. when you're making a phone call, you know. So my husband went first and he put his in and then he said, oh, okay, we'll do Louise's now. And then he started to download them. He said, it's not working. And uh, I said, well, I've, I've got, it's got to work because I need to be making calls in the mm. car. And it turns out there were too many contacts in there. <laughs> so I have been very obsessive over the years in making sure that I do keep contacts. Like yeah. I am, a, I'm go to the nth degree. Like I, there'll be an email exchange with someone, and I'll think, well, that's an interesting. I'll just, I'll just log that in my contacts. And you know, I might never need that for four or five years, but I'll come across it and yep. think it's coming in handy now. Absolutely. So I am very religious about. Even just maintaining something like mm. that, um, it's a bit scary though. I think I've got about 15,000 contacts in my phone. Oh, really? So it is a lot, right? Wow. Now, some of those obviously sure. are not as, you know, there's an A list and a B list and a C yeah, list, whatever, yeah. but, but I have been pretty organised in making sure. It was, one of the, it was one of the challenges when I started the business. So I had to go back through it like I've never done before and really work out, segment that network. Yes. Um, but I think the the other thing, Gary, is I, I see a lot of young people who um, they want to change the world and they want to, you know, they might want to set up, 
you know, a charity, they might want to do something in a developing country, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I think it's fabulous and I take my hat off to them. But the solution sometimes is not setting up another charity. And with some of them I say, listen, you know, there are other ways to do this. Mm. You know, you could be partnering up with an existing NGO or nonprofit. Maybe it's not about jumping ship with your career at this point in time. There are other ways to do it. You could be on a nonprofit board. Mm. Um, and you could be doing that fairly early on. You want a little bit of maturity, don't you? Sure. But I, I, I would like to see more young people sort of do more in that nonprofit space, but not necessarily at the expense of their day job either. No. You know, I think the thing is, it. I just hope they don't, they're not jumping around with the career too much too soon. That's what you know. I like to see a bit of stability. I think, mm. and if you're going to move do so but make sure with some roles at least that you've you've stayed the distance sure a little bit longer i think so in summary, they're impatient they're impatient absolutely yes mm. instant gratification oh, absolutely so in summary what you're saying in terms of advice is more stability so that will bring better uh, certainly contribute to your reputation build your network but build it face to face and thirdly uh, focus on the non for profit in terms of if you're going to do something, focus on one or two particular areas as a complement to your existing career. Correct, correct. Cause, cause Pretty I don't good see, advice. I don't see how you can actually build a reputation if you're, say, in a role for two years. No. I mean, I don't, that just, that just, that's not how it works. It's got to be a longer haul than that. From oh, my totally experience. It takes a lifetime to build a reputation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The other thing I must say is how to say thank you properly. What I have discovered is um, not many people do that well. And even in my last role, you know, I made an effort once a year. It was pre in the lead up to Christmas. I would personally handwrite a thank you card to all the top shareholders. Mm-hmm. Now, I think mm-hmm. that was probably, you know, a listed co- for a listed company sure. investor to get mm-hmm. a handwritten card from a CEO is probably special. highly unheard of. Yep. But it's about being memorable. Absolutely. And I believe in doing those sort of things and going to that le- I mean, I would have writer's cramp, but I think those sort of things are very, very important. And yeah. it's just making that special extra effort that makes you memorable and I think helps build the reputation. And build your brand. And build the brand, exactly. I've got to work out what I'm going to do for Walsh Capital. Oh, the one year I'm sure you'll find something very <laughs> exciting and unique. <laughs> Louise, we've come to the uh, the end of what has been a magic uh, time and discussion, and uh, I want to thank you very much for taking the time to uh, really share your wisdom and your insights. Uh, I'm very grateful that you have found the time and been able to uh, have a chat with me. So thank you very much. Thanks, Gary. It's a pleasure. And also it's fantastic to talk about a subject that one doesn't normally talk about. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please leave a five-star review and subscribe for more episodes. And if you'd like to learn more about developing your personal brand, please visit garybrown.com.au to get in touch or grab a copy of Brand new, brand you.